For most of the Premier League era, Manchester United have been famous for what happens on the pitch. The class of 92, that incredible night against Bayern in Barcelona, Fergie's fascinating rivalry with Arsene Wenger and Arsenal. But recently, the gaze has been dragged away from the grass. The Glazers' running of the club is constantly under fire. Players' alleged actions in their personal lives have seen them stood down or removed from the club entirely. And the recent standoff between Eric Ten Hag and Jadon Sancho has merely added to that feeling of dysfunction. This weekend, United face a Brighton team that seems harmonious and happy as it gears up for a first-ever European campaign. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. Of course, it's always happy and harmonious at Betfair Towers, and Mark O'Hare is very happy after he got to send his eyes square with a glut of obscure international football clashes. Uh, Mark, I know it is a little bit simplistic, but the contrast between Manchester United and Brighton off the pitch does seem quite stark at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you summed it up brilliantly there in, in the introduction. Um, we can't obviously get into some of the legalities of, of what's going on off the field, but um, I, I feel disappointed and let down um, because I went into this season, I think I've said it a couple of times already on the podcast, that I felt like Man United were almost flying a little bit under the radar. Um, it's almost like people forgot that they finished third last season, reached two cup finals and won a trophy. Um, and that was just the start really for Ten Hag to to, to wheel out uh, the mess of previous campaigns and try and bring his own imprint on that club. And it seemed to be working. It seemed to be moving in the right direction. You could see a, a path of progress, even if they weren't playing to the same style or manner of which Ten Hag is, is renowned for, really. But, um, yeah, it's been a tumultuous summer and the start of an autumn as well. Um, Off-field issues clearly dragging them down. Um, and on the field, too, it's been a, a massive disappointment. I think bar the first half against Spurs, They've not really done much to to really impress or, or garner any sort of strong interest from a, a betting perspective, uh, from me personally, at least. Um, I know they do have that excellent Old Trafford record, which has been in place effectively since they lost at home uh, against Brighton on the opening day of last season. But uh, they've won two from two at Old Trafford this season. But you look at both victories, neither convinced at all. And they were both against bottom half opposition in Wolves and Forest. Um, they've shipped two goals in, in three of their opening four games. Uh, they've given up a, an average of 1.89 non-penalty expected goals. Um, we talked about it as well before the Arsenal match, about the, the kamikaze style and, and, and way in which they try to defend those first 10 minutes against Forest and the last 10 minutes against Forest. Uh, just I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there, but it, it's not pretty. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't want to be with Man United this weekend. Um, the prices have moved ever so slightly this week, but um, United started the week around 2.2 uh, on the exchange. They're now coming in closer to 2.3. So the market is basically rating these two teams uh, round about equal, um, which I think is quite interesting because it wasn't far ago that uh, they both met at Wembley, of course, in the FA Cup semi-final in April. Brighton went off as, as favourites. Um, has enough change since then to suggest that United are now on a par with Brighton? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, by the name and, and by the obvious individual talent they have at their disposal, things aren't clicking um, on or off the field at the minute. And, and there's there's concerns there. Um, I think against Arsenal, 
they did look good at times, um, especially when counter-attacking. But that's not been their kind of go-to style or approach under Ten Hag. And, and clearly they're looking to try and play a different way, um, considering the signings they've made at least. Um, so I'm, I'm still kind of struggling to work out what they're trying to achieve in, in most of their matches because it just seems to be a little bit chaotic. And, you know, Varane's still missing. Uh, Lissandro Martinez might be back this weekend. We're not sure. Uh, there's still doubts over Amrabat and his availability as well. Uh, he's been suffering with a, a bit of a knock too. So I think United have vulnerable here uh, against the Brighton team who will attack them. I expect Brighton to absolutely get on the score sheet here uh, and cause them problems. So Brighton plus half a goal was uh, also of interest. Uh, it's been chipped into below 1.75 now. So I'm looking elsewhere for my, my best bet in this game. Uh, I think the bet to have here is Brighton double chance and both teams to score, which gives you a 13 to 10 shout, uh, a cracking price, I think. Um, Brighton games, as we know, are full of goals. But in terms of playing the big boys, they only lost three of ten against the top five last season. They won at Arsenal, admittedly, when they were in a, a low ebb. Uh, they won at United, admittedly, at the start of the season. They drew at Anfield, if we remember, played really well, well in that match. Gave City two good games too. And in 17 away fixtures in the Premier League under Roberto De Zerbi, they're averaging two goals per game, which is uh, an incredible... That's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's astonishing. Um, it's almost like we need to sort of pause and remember this is Brighton and Hove Albion, a team who've been sort of, you know, perennially in the bottom three tiers in, in my lifetime, at least. And uh, and now they're sort of verging in the top six of the Premier League. It's it's incredible, really. They failed to score once on trips to the top half. Uh, the issue, as we always have with Brighton, is can they keep the back door shut and... You know, despite what United have been going through, they did look fairly lively against Arsenal in, in moments, and uh, they do have that individual quality to score. Brighton, not exactly uh, impressively defensive, uh, the structure defensively so far this season either. Um, you know, even Wolves causing plenty of problems despite that 4-1 defeat. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be sort of siding with Brighton here, but also expecting goals. And, and the market is two because the goal line is is three and a half. So if the market's expecting around three, four goals here, you'd expect Brighton to play their part and hopefully avoid defeat at a nice price. The dashing doctor of data spent the international break recharging the XG robots and getting adulation from fans of our new YouTube channel for appearing on one of our how-to explainers about how to use XG in your betting. If you haven't watched it, make sure you do. Jake Osgathorpe with us once again. Jake, early days, of course, this season. But how are the two teams looking statistically? And is it actually much different to what we saw last season or is it quite a continuation? Um, United have looked much worse defensively so far this season. I think it's part of um, what Mark's touched on there and the fact that they've had so many issues off the field. They're trying to integrate a couple of new players on the field um, and they're trying to kind of set up in a new style, if you like. Last year was much more, when you watched them, they were much more pragmatic. It was much more results-based um, in the way in which they were going about things. It wasn't a very Eric Ten Hagian way of playing. In, in that sense, it, he didn't have that team playing how he wanted them to play. Um, he's tried to move towards that this year and it's just it's just not worked. Um, whether he's still not got the personnel to do it, I'm not too sure. Um, what does yeah, they, he want? For people who don't know or don't understand how necessarily a Ten Hag team plays, What what is the ideal for him? What is he trying to move towards? Um, well, if you watched his Ajax teams, they were very um, quick transition, direct kind of football, um, which was which is weird because like everyone I spoke to after the Arsenal game said that United looked pretty good in that first half. But I was watching that, having watched plenty of Ten Hag, and I, I thought that was just not what he would have wanted. They were passing a lot of sideways and backwards within their own third, and that's not what he wants. He wants to advance the ball quickly yeah. and try and create um, pressure up top, which 
ultimately, you know, you need the ball in that final third to be able to create pressure. Otherwise, you do leave loads of holes. Um, and there were a lot of passing lanes that were open that they just, whether the players didn't trust themselves to execute the pass um, or, or what, you know, I know Anthony has been in all sorts of trouble off the pitch, but he was a player that basically the way in which United were were, were set up, they had the inverted centre uh, fullbacks and they were creating that really wide passing lane to Rashford on the left and Anthony on the right. And the centre-halves just weren't, they were looking at him and then just coming back and passing it sideways. Whereas that's the pass that Ten Hag wants you to make. Get it to yeah. the winger, who is then one-on-one with the left-back. The left-back does not want to be in that situation whatsoever because Bakayo Saka and Martinelli were having to tuck in to cover the, the inverted fullbacks, and it just left a really isolated 1v1. Um, and that's something they just weren't exposing. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's something he will have hammered home um, post-match in that game. And yeah, it's just, it's just a little bit... I don't know if, it, if it's going to require more time, more games for them to get into that rhythm, but... Um, for whatever reason, it's just it's just not working at the moment, and the the things that they're doing are almost to the detriment of themselves. So, it's it, the half half approach is just not doing it. It's leaving them, you know, they're still creating chances, but they were doing that last year, even when they were playing, um, you know, much more solid style football. Yeah, but they, they're leaving themselves way more exposed, um, and they they've conceded one point eight xG per game this season. So. Um, yeah, they, they are very exposed defensively. And, you know, you factor in that the injury list that they've got as well is that Luke Shaw is potentially going to be missing. He's starting left back, uh, which means Dallow has to go left because Molassi is also missing. Varane, Martinez, they're, you know, Varane's definitely going to be out the next game. Martinez is 50 50. Um, Amrabat, who they brought in to maybe provide a bit more cover, he's 50 50 for this game as well, having picked up an injury in the international break. Um, and then, yeah, as we've mentioned, Anthony Sancho out the squad. Like they're they're looking thin on the ground, um, and I think this is a really good opportunity for Brighton, who you know we're we're massive fans of on this podcast. Just in general, we're huge fans of Deserby, uh, but we've been a fan of Brighton for for years now. Um, the data darlings, if you like, and and they they really are a team that they they actually play their best stuff against the best teams, believe it or not. So. The record against Arsenal, Spurs, City, United, Newcastle, Chelsea and Liverpool. So effectively the big seven, if you like, big six plus Newcastle. Um, To the last 21 games against those seven teams, they've won 12 times, which is ridiculous to think that they're playing against that level of opposition and winning more than 50% of the time. Uh, And they've scored 38 goals in those 21 matches, which is staggering as well. Just shows you that. You know, no matter the opposition, they will score goals and create chances. And is that because the big teams want to play attacking football against them because they rely on creating those kind of artificial transitional moments, don't they? They want to suck you in and then hit you. And I guess a team like an Arsenal or a, a Liverpool or what have you naturally want to attack you. So that gives them more chances to do that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think the beauty about Brighton is that they don't change the style for anybody. In fact, there's, there's quite a few teams in the league this year that aren't included in the big six big seven that, that are like that now where they they don't they you know they, they have their way of playing their process and they stick to it relentlessly and, and I think there's a lot to appreciate about that and it does bring consistency with performances um but yeah Brighton the beauty about Brighton is that they can go up against these teams and like you said they get left extra space because they're they're almost the underdogs even though they're they probably know their system better than the opposition knows their system so they kind of have an it's, it's not quite an even playing field, but because they have inferior individual players. But as a unit, um, and the way in which Deserby has them playing, they are effectively playing like one of the best teams in the league. Um, and you know, the, the way in which they swarm around the pitch um, definitely helps them when they're playing against a low block as well. But they, they can get caught out and exposed at times, like we saw with West Ham, who literally will sit 
they're quite happy to go and sit on their own 18 yard box uh, and kick the ball long for Antonio. Like they're quite happy to do that. Whereas if a Manchester United set up to do that at home to Brighton, there would be major question marks. <laughs> a lot of booing. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it definitely plays into their hands. The fact that they are, um, you know, away against Manchester United this week. Uh, and yeah, they're the last team to beat United at Old Trafford in the Premier League as well. Uh, not that that counts for anything, but um, you know, they've been there. But it shows they've done it recently. It. Yeah. Doesn't it? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really happy to back Brighton on the handicap here. Um, plus a quarter of a goal. I know Mark was looking at maybe plus a half, but I'm happy to take plus a quarter, just around the even money mark. Um, so yeah, it's for me. I think that that's half loss if they end in a draw and a full win if they win. Um, yes, so uh, I, I think that's a bet. I also like goals as well. The goal line, even though it's high, three and a quarter at the moment on the exchange. I'd be happy to take the overs just purely because we know what Brighton are like. Just pure chaos. I, yeah. It's every chance they score two um, and concede con- con- two. Um, you know, there's a reason why goals have been extremely prominent so far this season for Brighton, uh, both ends of the pitch. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Brighton went three and a up and then conceded a late goal or something like that, like they did with Newcastle, because it's just relentless attacking football, which is great for the neutral. Um, and, you know, they're going to have a great week, aren't they? Because they've got Man United and then they obviously have that first European game on Thursday to look forward to as well. So what a time to be a seagull. Yes, it is absolutely terrific to see Brighton thriving in the way that they are. Mark liked the idea there very much of uh, maybe being a seagull for a bit. Uh, very enjoyable. <laughs> is he flapping his wings? Yeah, he is. He is. In his head, he's just, he's just you know, wheeling o- over the water. Lovely stuff. Uh, no doubt that injury time goals, by the way, are a great source of drama in football. But we know those goals can be a pain in the pocket if they ruin your bet. So what we've done is we've introduced 90-minute payouts at Betfair. Now when you bet on the results of a match, you can still win even if there's injury time drama. If the clock hits 90 minutes and you've got the right result as it stands, your bet wins when the match ticks into injury time. T's and C's in the description, 18 plus. See gamblerware.org. Let's stay in the Premier League then. Luton hoping to finally pick up uh, a few points as they take on Fulham at Craven Cottage. Jake Luton have really struggled so far. They're the 5.7 outsiders here on the Betfair Exchange. Do you give them any chance of causing an upset here? Because Fulham are a bit hit and miss at the moment, aren't they? Big time, yeah. Um, I'm not going to go as far as say we're going to see an upset, but it would not surprise me one bit, just purely because of the way in which Fulham have defended so far this season. Um, And that's continued a trend, hasn't it? Because last season you were saying pretty much all the way through, yes, they're well ahead of the relegation zone, so they're fine. But defensively, they defend like a relegation threatened team. Yeah, they, they actually conceded the most expected goals of any team in the league last season, which is a pretty remarkable feat for a team that, that finished in the top half. Um, and it kind of, you know, part of that was down to Bernd Leno and the, his fantastic season in, in, in the net. Um, and part of that was down to some poor finishing. But so far this season, they've been punished, uh, conceded 10 times from an XG of 11.3. So it's still marginal overperformance. But yeah, that, that figure is lofty, um, allowing 2.8 expected goals against per game, which is ridiculously high um, and yeah if it continues then they will be sucked into a relegation battle um, I know that Fulham fans are hoping that Jao Polinia is going to be back in the team um, you know his head was all over the place during the transfer window wasn't it with the links to Bayern Munich um, well he was there he, he had the Bayern shirt on yeah. he was pictures. the Peter Odom wingy um, of this <laughs> he was window. ready 
<laughs> well, he got even further than Odin Wingy. He was he was he was actually there, ready. Um, and Bayern have said they'll go back in for him in January. Yeah. So we'll be interested to see how that pans out. But yeah, you've got to think he's a little bit unsettled. You would think big time. Um, and I think he's got a slight knock as well to go along with that. So there's every chance he doesn't feature, and you know that potentially opens um, Luton's chance creation up a little bit more without him in there because he's he's a really top player. Um, and yeah, on the other side, Luton. I mean. The, the performances haven't been great. Let's just put it pretty bluntly. Um, this is probably the first first game to look at and think we've actually got a bit of a chance of winning this against a team that might be in the bottom six. Um, you know, they play Brighton, Chelsea, and West Ham so far. Three teams that I think will finish in the top half. Um, so yeah, this is potentially the first opportunity they're going to have of playing against a relegation contender, if you like. Um, I know I upset a few Fulham fans doing a video on that and on social media the other week. But ultimately, if they carry on playing the way in which they are, then Fulham will be sucked into, especially as they're not going to, they've not replaced Mitrovic's goals either at the other end of the pitch, which again was the main reason for the overperformance. So yeah, well, I, I think, think go down on our website. When I, when well, yeah. I did the preview yeah. of the season on betting.betfair.com, I said, I thought Fulham would go down and, I still think they're in big, big trouble. You know, Mitrovic was such an important goal scorer. Defensively, there were shambles. Leno is a good goalkeeper, but I'm not sure he can sustain that level of performance. There's not much in his career to suggest that he can. So I think there'll be maybe a few errors in there, here and there. So I still think you're asking a lot for them to to stay clear of it in the way that they did last season. Absolutely, yeah. Um and this is a, a good test for that, actually. Um, you know, depending on how they perform and what the results like in this game will really give us a, a, a strong clue as to what we can expect from them over the course of the campaign. But the bet in this one for me is both teams to score. Um, it's around the 1.95, so it's just just under even money. Um, I think it's a cracking price. You know, like I said, Luton can't defend. Uh, sorry, Fulham can't defend, but Luton also have conceded a lot of good chances in their matches. But have shown a little bit more in attack than, than I was potentially expecting. So, um, yeah, I think this could be quite a high-scoring game where, you know, similar to what we saw with like an Everton-Sheffield United where people might look at it and go, that's, you know, that's probably going to be a low-scoring game, two teams defence first. But ultimately, like I said, this, in my mind anyway, it's, a, it's almost a relegation six-pointer very early in the season. And, and for Luton, it is the first opportunity to play a team that might be down there as well. So, um, yeah, I, I like BTTS and, and it did land in 68% of Fulham home games last season. So clicked very often uh, last term and I fully expect it to do again this time. Mark, we're going to talk about Sheffield United a bit later as well. But just in general, we've seen Burnley struggle. We've seen Sheffield United really struggle. We've seen Luton struggle. I know it's very early days. I get that. But is your sense that obviously last season the promoted clubs did fairly well? This season, does there seem a bit more of a gap to you or is it literally just an adaptation period and it's too small a sample size to really tell? I really hope it's the latter. Um, I still think it's possibly a bit too early to tell. I think in Burnley's case, you know, Vincent Company was was very clear um, in, his, in his wording before the Man City match starting the season. He said, 
live on Sky Sports that uh, this will be his team's worst performance of the season because he's bedding in a, a whole new team, um, or effectively, uh, especially yeah. at the defence. I think only one of those defenders in their back five, including the goalkeeper, was at the club last year. So um, it's going to take time, of course, it will. Um, I've still been a little bit disappointed and surprised by how poor Burnley have been in those first few games. Still think uh, there is uh, enormous room for improvement there. Perhaps they're not going to be a mid-table safety like we, or I assume they could be, um, following the footsteps of a Fulham last year. Um, for Luton, I think it's they're probably playing to about their level, really. Um, I'd say you know, we're only seen three games, but very, very tough matches. You know, away trips to Chelsea, regardless of where they're at at their campaign, that's always going to be a tough game for a club like Luton. And Brighton away is always going to be a, a bit yeah, of a mauling anyhow. <laughs> yeah, so um, I thought they did all right against West Ham. The, the issue I have with Luton at the minute is, um, you know, they're still going to be feisty. They're still going to be direct and, and uncompromising, hard to play against. But the midfield balance just looks a little bit off at the minute. Uh, Marvellous Nakamba has been uh, an absolute hero for them since he joined last season and continues to kind of stomp around the place in, in the same way in which uh, Jao Polinia does for, for Fulham, really, just putting out fires everywhere. But, you know, against West Ham, he had uh, Chong and Barkley the side of him and it just didn't look right. He looked a little bit exposed and I think they need to shore up that area of the field a bit more um, to have any chance of being competitive, really. And but they were a bit unfortunate against West Ham. If you look at the goals that they conceded, Ryan Giles lost... Jared Bowen for the header and then Kurt Zuma was completely unmarked from a corner. And I hate just focusing on the goals because there's 90 minutes of football, but there's two key areas in which you've conceded, conceded very preventable goals. So there are room for improvement individually and collectively, I think. But, you know, if they can sort that midfield out and for Blades, we've talked about it week on week, really. Um, they started the season as a weaker team that started the championship campaign last year. So it's always going to be difficult for them. They've had off-field issues to overcome as well. And they have made a couple of decent signings before the transfer window. But uh, just like Fulham, not Fulham, sorry, like Luton, the, the quality just seems to be lacking there. Whereas last season, Fulham obviously came up with, with Mitrovic. They made the signing of Palinia two absolute game changers um, for a club like them. Uh, you've got, who else was it? Forrest went out and signed half of Europe. Yes. Um, and some very <laughs> talented players. Um, and Steve Cooper's an expert coach and managed to get things running there in the right direction. So um, maybe it's just a bit of variance. We had three, was it three stay up last year? Yeah, they all stayed up. Yeah. Um, um, perhaps we're going to get a bit of a bounce back this time around. I think that was the assumption anyhow, Fulham and Sheffield United are going to be in for a long season, but Burnley need to put their ideas up. In the German Bundesliga, I'm going to give Bayer Leverkusen a goal head start on the Asian handicap at 2.02 as they visit Bayern Munich. Both clubs have made a 100% start to the season. They've won all three games, but I'm not sure there'll be a huge amount to choose between them on Friday night. Leverkusen have only lost by more than one goal in two of their last 25 Bundesliga games. The last time they faced Bayern, they won, although admittedly that was at the Bayern arena. For this bet to lose, we need the home side to win by two goals or more. And even though Harry Kane is at Bayern, I still don't think they are anywhere near their swaggering best at this stage. And of course, international break uh, throws up all kinds of strange results. And uh, Bayern had plenty of players involved in Germany's game. Uh, against France on Wednesday. So a draw or a Leverkusen win gives us an odds against payouts. And either way, I think it's going to be a terrific game. Mark, you've got a clash between Mainz and Stuttgart. I'm going to take a wild guess 
and say you're on the hunt for goals here. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit obvious, isn't it, really? But the price is nice. Uh, 175 for over two and a half goals. It's rare we get an over two and a half goals. I'm actually, that is backable in the Bundesliga. I nearly uh, fell off teams. the chair when I read that. I must admit, yeah. I couldn't believe yeah. that price. Yeah. Incredible, really. And look, very small samples, but we're only three games or three match days deep in the Bundesliga. It has been Europe's highest scoring league for a while. And the numbers this year are pretty strong. 3.7 goals per game at the minute, 74% of matches going over, 56% going over three and a half and 63% seeing both teams score. So um, really, we should be looking at a 2.75 or even a three goal line. Uh, as standard almost across the board really but we're not getting that in this match and you know firstly I think, I think it's going to be competitive I think you've got two teams who will believe they've got a good opportunity of getting the points in this match secondly I think the style and approach of both coaches and teams lends itself to being a high scoring game uh, and thirdly just the, the raw numbers are very much in our favour here we've got two teams who have seen over three and a half goals, let alone over two and a half goals, in five of their opening six matches. Uh, and between them, they've failed to score once. Um, since the last start of last season, Mainz have gone over in 61% of home games. They've scored in 15 of those 18, but managed just four, four clean sheets, 12 of which saw BTTS. Stuttgart, obviously under different coaches at the time, but saw overs in 78% of away days. Scoring in 14 of 18 away, despite sort of battling relegation for the most part, keeping just one clean sheet, conceding twice or more 14 times and seeing BTTS bank in 14 of those 18 as well. So um, Stuttgart put in that outrageous result against Freiburg before the international break. Uh, I'd be stunned if they can follow that up again. But uh, they seem to be playing some decent forward thinking football. So, um, yeah, I think they can absolutely, absolutely oblige with uh, Garassi in, in the form he's in at the minute. And uh, but also, you know, Mainz at home. I like both Svensson's team when they do play at homes as well so they'll contribute and then you're just looking for a third goal so yeah very nice price there yeah the uh three results for stuttgart so far five nil at home lost five one away five nil at home so uh, <laughs> nice nice quiet start to this just season. while we're on the bundesliga kev i, I wanted to get your opinion because i very nearly included uh Freiburg plus half a goal against dortmund in this segment too so uh quite eager to sort of oppose dortmund early season so wanted to get your thoughts on that yeah, it's a tough one because Dortmund are not playing well. So that's the bare truth of it. I did their game um, before the, win the uh, international break against Heidenheim. I've rarely seen the team collapse in that manner against such inferior opposition. And I have to give Heidenheim immense credit for the way they played in the second half. I thought they were excellent. But Dortmund were very, very fragile. And there is something not right about that team. However, I've fallen into this trap before. For whatever reason... Christian Strike, the Freiburg boss, is incredible. He overachieves all the time. Against Dortmund, he's got a dreadful record. I think he's only ever won twice. Now, I know that only gives you so much information because some of those results are years and years ago, but there just does seem to be some kind of stylistic matchup there he doesn't like. And so I think Dortmund are about 2.2, something like that, 2.22, aren't they? So... I, I, that for me is maybe a miss only because I I wouldn't get go anywhere near Dortmund at that price. But the temptation is to back Freiburg to pick something up and they just against Dortmund for whatever reason just don't quite seem to do it. I'd go for goals. I think if I had to go for anything in that game, I'd go for goals, but I don't quite feel strongly enough about either team uh, to back them to pick up a result. Uh, back to the Premier League. Jay Caston Villa have made a... Mixed start to the season, it's fair to say. Uh, they face Crystal Palace this weekend. Villa, good at home, away from home. A couple of really bad beatings. 
yeah, some bad beatings as, uh, against the good teams. And it's basically, I think that's what we have to expect from um, <clears throat> Unai Emery's team. I mean, they've be- become flat track bullies, if you like, since uh, since he took charge. Um, they've only lost two games against teams that didn't finish in the top seven last season <clears throat> since his appointment. So they they are basically a team that take apart the lesser likes. And we saw that in the two games, um, well, against Hibernian, obviously, in the Conference League, um, where there's a big gulf in quality there. But also they in the lost league, to a team from Andorra, didn't they? Hibs. Yes, in the first leg they did, yeah. <laughs> in the first leg, um, yes. Yeah, so it's not, it's not the biggest of you know surprises to see Villa completely hammer them but um yeah the win the win against um Everton and Burnley were very very good in the way in which they created the chances um and limited their opponents as well so yeah I, I really like the look of Villa at this price 1.99 they've won the last eight home games at Villa Park um in a row aggregate score of 18-2 so you know, they don't concede a lot of goals at Villa Park. Six clean sheets in those eight matches. Um, and yeah, like I said, their issues have been coming against better teams, uh, especially away from home. Shouldn't really be an issue so far this uh, in this game. And Crystal Palace, um, there is always a little bit of a, not, not, not so much nagging doubt, but we've not seen Crystal Palace play away at a team that finished in the top seven last season. So we don't really know what their approach is going to be. Um, since Hodgson took over, they had very easy or kind looking away games at the back end of last season. So far this season, they played Sheffield United and Brentford. Um, so, you know, it's tough to gauge what kind of setup they'll play, you know, what, whether they'll play deep trying to counter-attack or whether they'll do what they did against Wolves, which was basically, you know, take the game to Wolves in that last home game before the break. Um, but either way, I look at this for this Crystal Palace team and they they went to Brentford, who I think are an inferior team to Villa, and they were about the same price. I think on the exchange, you may be getting two point zero five about a Brentford win a couple of weeks ago. So to to see that price just move just slightly, I, I think is wrong. I think Villa should be heavier favourites. Um, I probably will back them down to about one point eight five something like that for for a home win, just given what I've seen from them so far. Um, and yeah, as a Crystal Palace at the back end of last season when they were playing really well. You know, they had Wilfred Zaha, they had Michael Lise. Like, they don't have those well, They're guys playing anymore. like 1970s Brazil. It was absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, the back end of exactly. Last You've got Roy Hodgson doing keep you up. He's on the sideline and all sorts. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they, they, they're not at that. They, they don't have that personnel now that really scares you, apart from um, Abreciesi. Um, and, you know, I think Villa have got more than enough in that midfield to deal with him. Uh, and they've got more than enough firepower to really hurt what is a, a decent-looking Crystal Palace backline. So I'm happy to take Villa at that price of close to even money. Worth bearing in mind that Betfair is offering a completely free ACA or Bet Builder on football this weekend, but you do have to opt in. Max bet varies between £1 and £10 per customer. Minimum combined odds of 1.5. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus C gambleaware.org. Let's head to the EFL. Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, a trip to the county ground for Swindon versus Walsall on Saturday. Um, you glamour puss, you. <laughs> this will be fun. This really should be good fun. Uh, plenty of entertainment and goals on the agenda. Um, during the international break, I know small samples, but I do make a couple of minor adjustments to my pre-season ratings, um, one of which was to bump Swindon up ever so slightly. I was quite negative on them coming into the campaign. That's despite really rating their head coach, Michael Flynn. He had a difficult time at Walsall last year, but 
proved over countless years with Newport. He is uh, very good at this level. And he has got Swindon motoring in the right direction, um, especially going forwards. Defensively, there are some question marks still, but, uh, you know, they've played six games in League Two so far, one less than everyone else. They've scored 20 goals. Um, wow. It's been a, an exceptional output going forward. They've scored twice or more in five of their six games. They've actually scored three goals or more in half of those matches too. Um, so going forward, they are third behind big, budget teams like Mansfield and Wrexham in terms of expected goals generated so far. Um, and up front, you've got Charlie Austin, a uh, veteran, uh, alongside a guy called Jake Young, who uh, is on loan from Bradford. Uh, and Bradford's head coach, Mark Hughes, decided uh, during pre-season he wasn't good enough uh, for the Bantams, uh, allowed him to leave. He's already scored nine goals um, for Swindon. Uh, <laughs> good one, Sparky. Into... Great choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We're in mid-September. He's got nine goals. Outrageous output. So, um, yeah, if you look at Swindon, six games, five of six have gone over. Five of six have seen BTTS. Four of six have gone over three and a half goals because they've managed just one clean sheet themselves. And if you look at the XG conceded, uh, they're actually second worst in League Two. So their matches have just been free-for-alls, really. Uh, 3.6 non-penalty goals, um, non-penalty expected goals uh, on average across those six fixtures so far. So you're getting over two and a half goals in this match at 1.8, uh, just too big. Uh, that will go off shorter because Walsall will play their part. Um, seven games for them so far, six of which have delivered BTTS. Five have gone over two and a half goals. They've scored in all seven. Uh, they've scored twice or more themselves, four times. And their only clean sheet came against Colchester, who had a, a bit of a slow start struggling towards down at the bottom end of League Two as well. So fully expect Walsall to contribute to this and Swindon will be looking to score twice or more yet again. And that will land us the bounty at 1.8. So uh, a big price for goals in a game which should be good entertainment. I like that. Landers the bounty at 1.8. He's gone all piratical on us, Marco. <laughs> yeah, he's moved from being a seagull now to a pirate. So there you go. He's, he's evolving. What a journey. Yeah. I love it. He's evolving as the show goes on. Uh, we mentioned that it's been tough at the top for the promoted club. Sheffield United go to a Spurs side, Jake, that's feeling pretty good about itself right now. Life under Ange Postacoglu has been pretty good. Yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, not only with the results, but also the the performances, the eye test. Um, yeah, it's it's actually fun to watch them now, which is unusual after the years that the um you know neutrals and obviously Spurs fans have gone through with the dour football. Um, but yeah, they're gonna be a lot of fun this season. They're gonna be a lot of goals in their matches, as we've seen so far. But I'm actually looking at opposing goals in this game. Um, not because of Spurs, but because of Sheffield United. Um, now, I mentioned when I was talking about Brighton that there are a lot of teams now in the Premier League that have their set way of playing, the very front foot. No matter who they come up against, they they you know they they give their best in terms of like a Burnley. You know they're going to set up in a certain manner, and yeah. yeah, they might get smacked in the mouth, but they might also cause a couple of upsets along the way. Um, Sheffield United are one of the teams that are probably the most negative in terms of approach, and that's purely because I think that the you know, them and Luton in terms of quality on the pitch, they just can't do that. They would get absolutely terrorised if they went toe-to-toe. Um, so I, I've got them down basically turning up at, at, at Tottenham and not so much parking the bus, but playing quite a deep block looking to counter-attack. Um, I, I think they've done that already in matches against Manchester City. We saw that where they were camped in their own 18-yard box. And uh, they were competitive got- in that game, weren't they? They nearly caused an upset. Nearly caused an upset, but, you know, that, that was one of the games where... I wasn't reading too much into that because the, the XG was just ridiculous in Man City's favour. They, they were camped Sheffield United, yeah. nearly got a result, but conceded nearly four expected goals. So if they had got a result, it would have been 
you know, the biggest steal of all time. Well, not quite the biggest, but up there. Um, so, yeah, I'm fully expecting a similar kind of performance here, uh, maybe even more so given they're away from home. Um, so, yeah, I think this could be a game where they try and frustrate Tottenham. Um, Tottenham might, you know, might be nil-nil for a while, maybe 50 minutes, and then they open the scoring. Um, but, yeah, ultimately the quality and the creativity that Spurs have should get the job done. And now they've got, added, uh, you know, extra firepower off the bench as well with the new signings, uh, Brennan Johnson coming in, could maybe add a bit of extra spark as well. So I do think Spurs will get the job done, but I just think that this is one where the goal line's probably set a little bit too high um, for the matchup. Um, if Spurs are playing anyone else apart from Sheffield United, maybe Luton, maybe even Everton, then I'll probably be looking at backing in overs. But um, given the opposition, I'm happy to take the under under three. So if there's exactly three goals, we get a, a push, we get our money back. If there's one, two or zero, which I don't think there's going to be zero, then we get a, a winner. And if there's four or more, we get a loser. But it's an odds against prize, 2.1. I'm more than happy to take that risk. Well, now it's time for the world-famous podcast Treble, a feature so popular that Taylor Swift said she'd happily swap all of her MTV awards just to get the chance to meet Mark O'Hare. Mark, are you aware of uh, aware of Swifty's work? Of course, yeah. I haven't, I haven't heard uh, her latest stuff, uh, which seems to be dominating the charts, but uh, yeah, very much the the old guard in terms of Taylor. Wonderful stuff. Oh, even even the old First country name stuff. basis. Wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, that is something I would pay good money to see, Taylor Swift and Mark O'Hare with some kind of powwow. That would be wonderful <laughs> to see. Uh, how this works, by the way, is each of the three of us comes up with a selection ahead of the weekend's action and our delightful traders wrap them up for you in a boosted treble. I'm going to start and I'm going to actually have a selection from the game that Jake was just talking about. I'm going to back James Madison to score or assist for Tottenham against Sheffield United. I think he's perfect for the way Postacoglu wants to play. I think he's shown that already. I think he's a real danger in terms of either scoring goals or making them set plays a danger as well. So I think he can make a real impact in that game. Mark, what have you got for us? Uh, let's just go with both teams to score when um, Mike's play Stuttgart on Saturday. Lovely. A bit of uh, Teutonic influence there. Uh, Jake, what have you got? I'm going to drop into League One and put Lincoln as a home team against Carlisle in. Get around five to six. Um, Lincoln have performed pretty well so far this season on the underlying numbers. Uh, results have been good as well. Just lost once in six. Um, two home games have resulted in two 3-0 wins against better teams than Carlisle. Um, and yeah, Carlisle, winless on the road. Worst travellers in the league, according to the data. Generating just 0.4 expected goals away from home so far this season. So Lincoln to beat Carlisle. What a wonderfully eclectic mix that was. Lincoln, London <laughs> and Mainz. Super stuff. And talking about eclectic mixes, we have left the best until last. Of course we have. It is the delightful dessert. It is Mark O'Hare's Scott Watch. Mark, take it away. A uh, tricky coupon this weekend in Scotland. So I've, I've kind of nosed around and found something a little bit different. Um, Betfair Sportsbook is... The whole thing is different, Mark. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> um, Scottish Premiership game on Saturday. Motherwell take on St Mirren. Both teams have made very good starts. Both teams unbeaten after four rounds. Motherwell with three wins from four. St Mirren, two wins from four. The market's rating them about equal. You're looking at Motherwell around about a 13 to 10 shot here to win. 
which suggests on neutral territory, these two teams would be going off at very similar prices. But they have got a bit of a, a Jekyll and Hyde nature about them. Uh, Motherwell have been absolutely excellent at Fir Park under Stuart Ketterwell. St Mirren have been pretty poor when travelling to the best teams in the division over the last 12 months or so. Uh, and underlying metrics would also slightly favour Motherwell. So my numbers make Motherwell not 13 to 10, closer to about 11 to 10. So not massive value, not a huge difference there. But what really stood out to me actually was just kind of Going down the, the sportsbook prices on this uh, match, you got Motherwell at 13 to 10 just to win the game. You can get Motherwell at 23 to 10 to win alongside over one and a half goals, which is a, a full point leap from the 13 to 10. That's just to huge, eliminate. That's quite unusual, isn't it, Mark? That's quite a huge leap, isn't it? It's, it's enormous, yeah. But I've been looking, it's quite commonplace for the for Betfair Sportsbook to be doing similar across the Scottish Premiership because it's a slightly lower goal-scoring league than, right. than most. But um, that's a, a still a huge leap from 13 to 10 to 23 to 10 just to eliminate the 1-0. Um, I'm not expecting this match to be a one-goal game. Um, since Kettlewell arrived, Motherwell are eight wins from nine at home in the Premiership when you exclude the old firm. They've scored twice or more in seven of those nine, averaging two goals per game. Already this season, they've turned over Hibbs and Kilmarnock at Fir Park, scoring twice in both of those fixtures. Uh, St Mirren have lost 9 of 12 against the top half uh, away since last, I'm oh, sorry, across all venues last term. They conceded twice or more in nine of those and they lost uh, in Kettlewell's, uh, one of his first fixtures in charge actually, at Fir Park 2-1. So they yet to keep a clean sheet this season. They've conceded twice uh, or more uh, a couple of times. They're giving up almost three expected goals across their two away games already at Hibs and Livingston, two bottom half teams. So, um, yeah, clearly the safer option is to back Motherwell to win. But I just think that leap from a 13 to 10 to 23 to 10 is is too big to turn down. Alternatively, there is an option to back Motherwell double chance and over one and a half goals at 185, which is, again, a great value selection, in my opinion. Um, Culture Corner, uh, we've covered Motherwell previously. So I'm going to take a quick look at St Mirren. There's also a little quiz in there for you two. So get yourselves ready. Lovely. Right. St Mirren, uh, Scottish Cup winners three times, League Cup winners in 2013. They're also the only Scottish team to win the defunct Anglo-Scottish Cup, beating Bristol City in 1980 over two legs. Uh, they're from Paisley, which is a large town not far from Glasgow. And St Mirren itself was actually a gentleman's club first, which uh, specialised in cricket and rugby before members pushed through the football team in 1877. Now, quiz time. St Mirren were part of the founding members of the original Scottish Football League in 1890 but only five survive to this day. So, little quiz. St Mirren were one of those five. Can you name the other four who were founding <laughs> members of the Scottish Football League who still survive today? I'll start with Hamilton Academicals. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> There's three fairly obvious-ish ones. Dundee and United? One. No. This might take the a Celtic while, eh? Rangers. Celtic Hearts. Rangers, there's two. Yeah, Hearts Hibs. is three. You need okay. one more. And then all the Falkirk. Okay. Dumbarton. Montrose. Dumbarton. Yeah, Dumbarton. The mighty Dumbarton. Um, so, St Mirren, uh, named actually after St Mirren. Uh, the spelling differs slightly, but uh, St Mirren was the founder of a church at the site of Paisley Abbey. There's also a street in Paisley named St Mirren Street. Uh, this is quite interesting, though. That probably was a bit boring, but uh, they, they first no, played. No, not at all, Mark. <laughs> Don't do yourself down. Absolutely not. They first played in black and white stripes in 1884, and they were the first club in the world to do so six years before Notts County did, who obviously inspired Juventus to follow suit. So, yeah, St. Mirren uh, instigated that change to black and white. And, you know, because of those black and white stripes, their mascots are, of course, 
pandas. You've got Paisley Panda, Junior Panda, and Mama Panda. So look out for them if you're down there. It's not Love Street now. I think it's just St. Mirren Stadium, they call it these days. But uh, there you go. Culture Corners of St. Mirren. Why have they abandoned the love? I, I don't understand. Different venue, I think. So, um, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll, They've moved why. entirely. Well, there we go. There we go. Well, he's gone from seagulls to pirates to pandas. The full journey of Mark O'Hare on this show. That's all we have time for, very sadly, because I actually really enjoyed that on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Lots of excellent preview content on our website, betting.betfair.com. Loads of other good shows on the Betfair podcast network, including Racing Only Better. By the way, our shows have been put onto the new Betfair YouTube channel for non-racing content. So make sure you like and subscribe. The link is in the description from Jake, from Mark, and from me. It's goodbye for now.